Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. The following is a pre-recorded best of the American Veteran Show segment. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who have served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99% of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's Stephen Tubbs Welcome and Happy New Year. This is the best of the American Veteran Show. Thank you so much for joining us every Sunday, even on holidays throughout the year. And coming up at the beginning of February 2023, we start our Season 7. None of the seasons would be possible without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, now helping out veterans exposed to potentially toxic materials during their service and training at Camp Lejeune. Get in touch with John Boson and his team today. They really can help, and most certainly, they care. B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com, or 303-999-9999. Coming up, in fact, we're going to have one of our favorites who's ever been on this program, our United States World War II Marine veteran Joe Weinmeyer from earlier this year. We'll hear from Joe for a couple of segments. And then one of the incredible Vietnam veterans, and because of his appearance, we were able to change a little bit of policy within the local folks at the VA. Noel Lane will join us, and we'll wrap up with one of my true friends. He retired earlier this year from Delta Airlines, but a proud United States Air Force veteran, True Lanier, will join us. Let's start with Joe, and again, friends, Happy New Year to you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to see you, and we have such a good time together. We do. We've had such good times in the past, our trips that we've taken ar- around the country, the world. Yep, yep. Yeah. We went to uh, Australia together. We've been to Hawaii together. We've been to Iwo Jima together. We've been across the country. J- Japan. Japan. Um, but Camp Tarawa. What do you remember? Because now it is back to almost native uh, prairie land on the Big Island. Yeah. Well, when I was there, of course, that was our base camp. And all you seen was tents and uh, Quonset huts, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but they did, like we both know, they've got that memorial 
where the camp was. Right. Uh, On the Parker Ranch. Parker Ranch, right. And, um, you know, it's – you think maybe if you've never been there, you think, well, it's an island. How big can this be? They call it the Big Island for a reason because it is very it, big. And, and you were part of the 5th Marine Division. Right, right. When uh, uh, I went over there, they, they were forming the 5th Division, and I was one of – one of many replacements. Mm-hmm. Joe Wanmeyer is our guest. He's been on our regular program, and, uh, boy, he's been with me so long, he's been even on other radio stations. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that. But this is the American Veteran Show, and Joe is 96 years young, still drives. Uh, we have lunch together as much as we can, and um, I-, I wanted him to kind of share that few memories the you know those memories of uh, of training you were a flamethrower and you were on the big island camp tarawa how does it all start i mean i i know that you shared the story before of how you actually got to become a flamethrower well uh when i got out of boot camp of course we went to i uh, went to camp lejeune north carolina and that was uh our advanced training so to speak mm-hmm. and it was a lot of uh field uh, stuff and also weapons training and uh, of course I used the flamethrower along with the r- machine guns and everything mm-hmm. else Wasn't there the part of the story though where they're just like uh, we need flamethrowers uh, Weinmeyer you're now a flamethrower <laughs> That's what it When I got over to Hawaii joined the 5th Division uh, they assigned us to our uh companies and stuff and i wound up in headquarters company in a uh, demolition platoon Mm -hmm. so we fell out the next morning and uh of course the platoon sergeant he had his say and he appointed everybody to their position and he said i need a flamethrower weinmeyer (laughs) and i I was a flamethrower from then on. Yeah. Uh, we are talking with uh, one of my favorites, uh, World War II United States Marine Corps veteran, uh, Joe Weinmeyer, 96 years old, and he is still going strong, loves to play golf and goes to the Elks and dances, and we would be remiss if we didn't say hello to his lady friend, Lori. Hello, Lori. You say hi to Lori. Hi to you, sweetheart. See? This is just all fuzzy. I love him. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, when I saw Camp Tarawa, of, you know, I guess now it was in October of this year, I, I thought about you, but I also thought about the incredible difference in how it looks. Tell me in your own words what it was like. Well, uh, it was just one area, actually, uh, where the camp was. That was where all the action was. And uh, it's a little, they called it a, a, a Town, I call it a stop in the road. It's just a uh, grocery store and a gas station. And that was where you were supposed to get your entertainment, rest, yeah, relaxation. Yeah. If you want to go down and watch people fill gas, that's entertainment. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you ever, you never really had a chance to enjoy the Big Island, did you? You went to the coast, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We went down to the coast and we did a lot of our training down there. But, uh, there was nothing else. It's just nothing but a big open field, yep. big ranch. And, and one of the about, nation's largest. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. You know, this past week, and we've talked about uh, the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. You and I have been there, and, and this 
anniversary, the 81st. Share your memory of where you were uh, December 7th, 1941. I was sitting in the movie theater watching a movie. And, of course, then they bombed uh, Pearl Harbor. And then they stopped the, the film and they flashed it across the screen that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. And, well, being 15 years old, 16, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, okay. Yeah. You know. I mean, at that point uh, in your, you know, your teenage years, you're you're not perhaps able to, in an instant, uh, realize the significance of the moment, and then all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but, I mean, in the next few years, your life would change forever because of that attack. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I was uh, in my senior year in high school. I was 17. And uh, I graduated in May, and I was going to turn 18 in June. Well, I didn't want to go in the Army, not that I have anything against the Army. Mm-hmm. I had two brothers in the Army. But I thought I was... Uh, at home, walking down the street one day, and I seen two Marines in their dress blues. And I said, that's what I want to be. So uh, I didn't say nothing. I went down to the recruiting office and enlisted in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Joe Weinmeyer, he's a World War II veteran. United States Marine Corps, Semper Fi, of course, to him and to all of you and you military families. Um, we... We are forever in your debt. And as we kind of wrap up this season of the American Veteran Show, you know, we have so much to be thankful for. And I know you are thankful for so much. And, you know, Thanksgiving has passed. But as we we air this, uh, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah and the holiday season still ahead. But what are you most thankful for? I mean, first and foremost, man, 96 and a half-ish years old. Man, you've seen a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I think about it sometimes. What I've seen and done in my life, I've done so much. I uh, skated in the roller derby, of course. Yep. And I water skied and snow skied till I was 81. And the only reason I quit was because my wife had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I thought if I got hurt, I would have nobody to help me. Mm-hmm. So I, I quit both of those, much to my regret. But you're still out there on the golf course, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, twice a week if I can. I wish we had more time. But uh, Joe has been many, many years a marshal. And uh, Joe is uh, a big guy, totally fit, uh, in better shape than most of us. And as we wrap up, I just want you to know that Joe is the kind of guy, he'll tell you, you pick that ball up and you move it. Right? That's right. Right? You've you've been the authority out there. Yeah. And if you're lagging behind... Get moving and catch up to the ones in front of you. <laughs> yeah, they said, don't fool with Weinmeyer. <laughs> That's right. He'll yell at yeah, you. I wouldn't put up with anything. Yeah, they don't know what I know. And yeah. that is you're one of the most terrific human beings ever. Well, I love you. you, friend. And thank you thank for you. always having lunch. You're always uh, a phone call away. And yeah. you're always so good to us here on the program. Well, I appreciate your friendship. One of the most precious friendships in my life. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephen Tubbs. 
We welcome Noel Lane to the program. And uh, before we get into anything, Noel, I want to say welcome home to you and thank you. Well, thank you. Why are we talking with you today? Because it's important for me as a veteran and the 12 veterans in our group to let the world know, and this is huge, that the VA has divided and conquered veterans in order to reduce their contingent liability for their future care. There's two parts of the VA, Stefan, and and they're important. There's the caregiver part. The caregiver part of the VA, they're as good as any doctor or nurse or practitioner you've met anywhere. And it's like the bell curve. There's good and bad on both sides, but the caregivers are fabulous. Now the other side is the administration. The VA, I believe, exists for self-propagation. I believe that it fits the same bell curve. 80% of them are good people that are trying to do their jobs and keep and move forward. And there's the sides on either. But the VA administrators don't exist for the veterans. They exist to perpetuate their own jobs. I made four deployments to Vietnam. When I came back, I went about life and moved on. Around 63, I was, I play poker. I've been playing poker with the same group for over 30 years. And when you say 63, I just want everybody to know that you mean not 1963, obviously. You mean about 63 years of age. Yeah, I'm yeah. 72 now, so mm-hmm. it's a long so we're, time. Yeah, we're talking about a, a little less than a decade, but still, uh-huh. back to poker. And uh, one of my poker buddies, two of my poker buddies in the group, one was a department head, VA psychiatrist, here at Claremont at the old hospital, and the other one was the manager of the Boulder Vet Center. And one day I got taken to lunch by the two of them and told I needed help. I didn't realize it. My wife had talked to me, but you don't realize how you're changing because it occurs at a point in time that's not planned. All of a sudden, it's like my inputs are wrong. This, you know, I'm not reading the situation right. Were you, did, were you one of those that, uh, did you get angry easily? Oh, yes. Rage is a huge issue. Uh, and you learn how to control it. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned managers being a, a, a negative term. I don't know what I can say on TV, on the <laughs> That's radio. Fine. But uh-huh. uh, it's not that you're that term. It's that you become so focused and you realize what cause and effect is. You start trying to do things to eliminate the effect of the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, th- you become, uh, my kids used to joke with me, Dad, we go to the stock show and you make us line up against the wall by the windows and you tell us where we can go out if the crowds get too big. I go to Kia, the crowds overwhelm me and I have to escape. Mm-hmm. It's, you go in unconscious of that and all of a sudden it's closing in around you. Uh, our group, healthcare. In my group, it's all wars combat group. We had a Korean veteran, he passed away. 
We have two Vietnam vets. I think you, I mean, uh, oh, World, World War II, II vets. I know Mr. Blaine and Mr. Whipple. Yes. They've been on this program before. Yeah. And they're in our group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Blaine, as you know, it's for 77 years he's been trying to get the VA to deal with what they did to him back in 1945. Yep, and at, in Iwo Jima. In Iwo Jima. As a Marine, yeah. What happened, COVID set everybody back. And the VA, like many government businesses and other businesses responded, they shut down operations. When they shut down, they left their veterans hanging. People could work for home. You do a video conference. It's not the same as talking face to face with someone. So we go through that for a couple of years. We can't even meet in the Denver vet facility because they've said, no, you don't, you mask, all of this, that we're meeting in parks. That's where you guys met? Yeah, in a park. In the winter, in the summer, made no difference trying to keep things going. So now our counselor, who put this group together well over 12 years ago, let me step back. How does this group work? Every week, the individuals meet with the same counselor. Every week, following that counselor meeting, you meet with the combat group. The combat group then takes and you're counseled to interact with each other. You ask me, do I have rage? Yes. Well, if you haven't experienced that type of rage, it's hard to address it. Mm -hmm. But if the man sitting next to you says, no, Listen to what you just said and look at your face and how you react. All of a sudden you go, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Let me stop you there because I want to make sure that people know who we are talking with. Noel Lane, United States Navy, a torpedo man in Vietnam. Not one, not two, not three, four deployments to Vietnam. From 1969 to 1973, you were a senior in high school. When you enlisted? I joined in the middle of my senior year in high school. They had a program called the 120-day delay program. So you joined. I joined in March. I graduated in June. And what I figured in my mind was that gave me rate advancement, pay advancement. I'm getting 120 days extra. So I graduated in the middle of June on a Friday. On a Monday, I get a call from my recruiting officer. No, how would you like three more weeks of summer vacation before you go active duty? Hey, I said yes. Of course, most people I lived people on would. the beach in California. So I did my three weeks extra. We go into the induction center. Stephanie, it was amazing. I'm standing there. I'm swearing in. I said, wait a minute. The contract's wrong. This says four years active and two years inactive. I joined on the kiddie cruise, which if you joined before your 18th birthday, you got out on your 21st birthday. You did three and three instead of four and two. Well, when my uh, service officer asked me if I wanted three more weeks, 
when I was down at the induction center and I said, the contract's wrong, I said, I joined on the Kennedy Cruise. The guy said, no, they canceled that program three weeks ago. Funny they didn't tell you, though. We're going to take our first break here on the American Veteran Show. And when we come back, we'll continue with Noel Lane. I want to make sure that some of you Vietnam veterans, uh, some of you veterans in general, I want you to know about Noel's group. And, uh, and what they are doing, and that is not going quietly into the night when it comes to uh, the Veterans Administration. The Veterans Affairs Administration, I know that some of you absolutely despise it. Noel, I thought, was absolutely forthcoming, uh, dividing it into two parts. The care is, is at times top-notch. The administration, on the other hand, as we have talked about over the years on the program, is a completely different animal. We will continue with this United States Navy veteran, a resident of Lakewood. That comes up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. We continue the American Veteran Show. We continue our discussion with United States Navy man uh, Noah Lane from Lakewood. Just a tremendous storyteller, and uh, I greatly appreciate your time. And you were a torpedo man. No torpedoes used in in Vietnam, but you were in ordnance, and you took it, and you certainly delivered it in uh, four deployments and uh, aboard destroyers. Let's get back to kind of how we started and why we're having you on the program. First of all, if you raised your right hand and wore the uniform, that's your eligibility to be on this program. So thank you. But you are part of a group that includes all the way back to two World War II veterans from Iwo Jima that I've literally traveled to Iwo Jima with. And they're tremendous. But we're talking about over the decades, this group, I would imagine you all are lockstep. You all are, to use the pun in military terms, you're all marching to the same beat, right? You are lockstep in we've got to make sure that our voices are heard. And I'm assuming, too, you're doing this for for future generations of military members as well. More than that. And if you were to talk to every member in our group, our group used to be 22, over COVID, it's down to 12. We've had two deaths in our group. So it's it's fading away. We're also in our 70s. Mm-hmm. One guy in our group is 78. What we decided as a group is our time's passed. Will we ever be able to recreate the last six years? No. Things changed. But what we're seeing, because in our all-wars group, we had two Afghanis. We had a Somalia vet. We had a Korea vet, as I mentioned mm-hmm. to you. They all have the same problem. And the same problem is the administration of the VA, whose real goal is to use actuarial tables, my projected lifespan, to reduce contingent liability to the VA for obligations to the veterans under its care. It does that by denying that you were in Vietnam, and that's why it's been 10 years I'm on appeal. Mm. So do you feel like this, um, you know, and you certainly have experienced post-traumatic stress, and and I believe you said you were 100%. Is this like a fight that, I don't know, you know you can't win, but you're still going to try, or is this in your eyes, in the eyes of the members of the group, that if there's enough attention and if there's enough noise, if you will, that maybe you can crack the code, so to speak? Yes, and it goes back to a friend of mine who has a bronze star. 
And he looked at me one time and he said, you know, when it's still one click to get back to camp and you can't move another step, you're so tired or so, you still have to walk the last mile. Amen. Yeah. The VA does not like the vet centers across the country because they're autonomous. And over the last few years, the VA has been absorbing those vet centers or exerting control. So in our particular case, our counselor retired in May. That had been announced for 18 months. He's 76 years old, so you know he's kind of getting to his prime, okay? The VA did not start looking for a replacement counselor for us until two months before his retirement. And they knew a year and a half earlier. Yeah, but worse than that, they also know, and this was all disclosed by the director and the deputy director of the VA who's oversees us, it takes six months typically to get a qualified person on board. Sure. Well, what happens in that gap, right? Well, we were dropped in May. We got no contact from the VA, no contact from the vet center. We, on our own, started meeting every Monday for breakfast at the Westwood Inn just so that we could work together and keep our network. Remember, our counseling was structured on individual group overseen every six weeks by a psychiatrist consistent every week yes for me almost and when that goes away i mean do you feel like it stopped like that that's abandonment it is abandonment and when we pointed out abandonment to john woods the deputy director overseeing us oh no 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 we're doing it was lip speak cya Uh everything then we got his boss to come in Carrie uh, Crownover, she did the same thing. We had it all recorded. We asked questions. What about this? What about that? What we were able to do as a group is we, they first started off, no, you're out. We're leaving you on the roadside. Now, then it was, well, we'll be here every two weeks. Then John Wood says, and I'll kick the first one off. Last Monday, we wouldn't let them stop there, and we've got them committed. We will resume this coming Monday every week except holidays. They will rotate with John Woods, the deputy director. Remember, this is all occurring with Kerry Crownover, his boss. And what's funny about this is Kerry uh, Crownover, the, de- uh, the district director, gave me her boss's name but couldn't remember the email address wrote it down wrong, and John Woods knew it. None of them will correct the email addresses, so we're assured that it's going forward. It's game playing with you. Um, We're going to keep on this with you. I do want to ask as we wrap up. So there's somebody out there listening right now going, what he is saying I have experienced. What can people do? Where can they go? How can they get in touch with your group and to make sure that there is – no more abandonment. The Denver Vet Center's phone number is 303-326-0645. Um, you have that off the top of your head. <laughs> I have a feeling you've called it a few times. I've been going there seven years. Yeah. But let me quantify this. I am 100% PTSD. I was awarded that in 2018. I had to fight for it, but I wasn't. I never applied for PTSD. I applied for 
peripheral neuropathy and joint and soft tissue destruction caused by exposure to Agent Orange. Let me just point this out, Noel. You finally are out of your contract July of 1973. You are not given 100% disability with post-traumatic stress disorder until 2018. That's typical for all Vietnam vets. It may be typical. It is unacceptable in, in my eyes. We've got to wrap up this, but we're going to keep in touch with you. And maybe, just maybe, our time together, we can raise a few red flags or an additional number of red flags. I think that I would appreciate that. And I can tell you every veteran out there appreciate what you're doing. What's real critical about this is that if a veteran dies in the middle of the process, let's say the day before they're approved, all of their benefits are gone. Anything that would have gone to the family is gone. So what the VA does is deny and delay. What's so crucial about this, a veteran should automatically be acknowledged as having these conditions, and then the VA proves that they don't have them. You should not have to fight. You should not have to fight. But I spent four years to get the VA to acknowledge that I was even there. And I have a combat action. How do you get that without being there? Um, You know, that's that's more a statement or a rhetorical question than a legitimate question. Uh, We will most certainly, sir, keep in touch with you. Uh, Again, visit the Denver Vet Center, and that's on Lowry? It's on First in Quebec in the old Lowry. Old Lowry. Uh, So – they can mention your name, Noel Lane, and, and this uh, this veterans group, and we'll keep on them. Uh, I thank you for your service. I welcome you home, and I'll give you the final word. Go ahead. We've placed in the last year 10 out of 12 veterans with a law firm that represents them in order to get 20% of their back pay. The VA authorizes this. Nobody for 10 years in the VA will ever tell you, told me, who to go to, how to do it, what to do it. They go to the VSOs. The VSOs aren't trained because the appeal is done under VA administrative law. If you don't have an attorney that knows, you lose, Yeah. which means actuarial tables work for the VA. The contingent liability goes away when you die. Our sincere thanks, and we'll continue our conversation in the programs ahead with Noel Lane, United States Navy, Vietnam veteran. Our final segment is coming up, and you'll get a chance to hear about an incredible career in not only the United States Air Force, but as a captain with a major U.S. airline. And this guy flew me in an F-16 out of Buckley many, many moons ago, and I can still feel the sensation of elation. And, oh, my goodness, I was so sick. (laughs) We'll have more coming up. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Our guest is uh, retired Major General True Lanier. He is truly a friend and just an incredible patriot. And welcome to uh, those of you lucky enough to be related to this gentleman. If you are listening now (laughs) or, uh, you know, later via podcast, has it always been, was it up until your last flight? I'm not saying you're not going to fly again, but uh, was it always fun? It has been fun. So I didn't fly as a young man, um, and I, my dad was a, a Marine for four years, so I didn't really have a military background. And uh, 
I decided I wanted to fly somewhere in high school and uh, went, got accepted to the Air Force Academy. Went to the Air Force Academy in 1975, graduated in 79. And, and quite frankly, when I first went there, all I knew was commercial aviation. Uh, my uncle was an airline pilot for Western. And I thought, man, that would be a, that'd be a great life. So I kind of set my sights on that. And when I, went to, when I graduated from the academy and went to pilot training, all of a sudden I realized I like flying Air Force airplanes. I like the G's. I like the sensation of flying a fighter-type airplane. And um, went on to fly the F-16. And it was later in my uh, active duty career where I realized that in the Air National Guard, you can both fly for the uh, the Guard, fly your fighter for the Guard, and you can be an airline pilot. And that's kind of what I want to do uh, long-term anyway. So I uh, got out of the active duty Air Force and went to the Air National Guard out here at Buckley, Colorado Air National Guard, and spent the rest of my career there. I ended up doing 37 years. So was it fun? Absolutely. It was 37 years of uh, incredible memories. Um, my active duty time was mostly in Europe. Uh, Debbie and I met over in Europe. We were married over there. I truly enjoyed flying in Europe and then come back here to the Colorado Air National Guard, which, by the way, is the first fairly recognized Air National Guard unit in the country. They, it, they have an incredible record out there. And uh, I was honored to be hired by them, went on to actually become the wing commander eventually at the end of my career. And, but like, like I said, I spent 37 years flying uh, Air Force-type airplanes. Actually, I flew 34 of 37. My last three, I was uh, my, my two-star job was down at Tyndall Air Force Base working at First Air Force doing uh, homeland defense stuff. But, uh, yeah, 34 of 37, and I loved every minute. And then I went into the airlines as well and ended up doing 34 years uh, congruently with Delta. Wow. Uh, and 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 loved that, too, and uh, finished my career flying international with Delta Airlines. You and I have talked on and off the air many times over the years about 9-11. Sure. Uh, give us your story, like that moment you found out something was up, it wasn't a small plane, I just want to sit back and listen. So that morning, um, I was actually going to sleep in because I was flying later that day and into the evening. I was scheduled to fly a training sortie out there at Buckley. And uh, my wife actually woke me up and said, you need to come check this out. And about the same time, the phone rang. And it was this the, the folks out of Buckley and telling me, uh, stay home. Um, we'll get back to you, but we're going to need you later on. And I was kind of confused and watching the tv and then it kind of struck me you know two airplanes don't hit the trade centers without it being on purpose so we knew something was going on and how it would affect us nobody knew for sure but uh you know we actually sent the kids off to school we talked about it what should we do and i said well let's try to keep their lives as normal as possible at least right now we sent off to school and then uh, i went into kind of crew rest at home and waited till uh, i had to go into work and when I went in, um, what we were doing, so initially when it first happened, we put airplanes up in the sky that had just training weapons. Yeah, we have bullets in our gun, but they're just training bullets. We don't have live missiles on our airplane, nothing like that. So we had some guys up in the air flying that. Nobody knew if this was a nationwide attack that was going to happen. And um, so we had to get some airplanes up in the air, and we did that. But over the course of the time, then we loaded up with live weapons and when, when I got in there, I ended up flying cap all night long. I, ended, I think I did that for three straight nights. And what we were doing basically is defending the front range um, between Denver and Colorado Springs. There's a lot of military infrastructure, a lot of military presence, if you will, and, and a lot of scientific, you know, Lockheed Martin, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of presence here on the front range that we, quote, were defending. So we would go up there and we'd fly cap for hours after hour on end, and it was really eerie, Stefan. And, and I say that because... When we fly, we fly with night vision goggles on, and you can see airplanes for hundreds and hundreds of miles. There was nothing out there. There was nothing. 
there was a tanker from the Nebraska Guard unit who came over and air refueled us. And so between my F-16 and my wingman and that tanker that went back to Nebraska, that's all that was in the air. And I remember uh, we had just air refueled off off uh, that tanker, and uh, they had just sent launched up another two ship out of Buckley to take our place. And I remember talking to the Denver Air Traffic Control, and I said, "Hey, we just got in the F sixteen. You can't um, you can't discharge fuel. You know, we we can't jettison fuel. So the only way to get rid of it is to burn it off." And I and I said to the traffic controller, "Hey, I need some airspace to go burn this fuel off because we just got replaced, and I've, I'm full of gas, like too heavy to land." And the traffic controller said, "You can go wherever you want." You're the only guys in the air. And for me as a Colorado native to be flying over my hometown of Denver and my home state with live weapons, it was just a uh, it was very eerie feeling. 21-plus um, years later, is yeah. it still eerie? I still can feel that thought, that initial thought of what is going to happen to America. And uh, here I am flying over my home state, and, and we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but what were the follow-on consequences? So... Um, I have good friends. Uh, uh, my good friend Buck Buckingham, uh, Colonel Buckingham, did one of the very first intercepts of an airplane um, that was going. When they finally let airplanes start flying again, they did it on a very regulated basis. And there was a Learjet, I think it was going to Aspen, that was not what we call squawking and talking like he should. And so th- they launched to intercept that airplane and escorted him into Aspen. And he's got a great story about that. But that's the kind of stuff that was going on. We didn't. We just didn't know as a country who to trust, and when have we ever felt that in the at least in the right. air business? You know, I know I'd asked you this years ago. Did it have to be an actual thought process if something happened where there was an airliner mm-hmm. with civilians on it? And it's heading towards something. Did that process go through your mind that this could be you may have to either shoot down a United States airliner with citizens on it? And I mean, people like you that were especially on the East Coast, they they had those thoughts. of well, Is this going to be a, a, a suicide mission yeah. for them as well? The very first flights that launched out of um, the D.C. area were uh, D.C. Air National Guard. Actually, uh, one of the gals was Heather Penny. Her, she's from Evergreen. She was in that D.C. unit. And, again, they were put up initially without live weapons. And they, they were told, you may have to ram an airplane if he's going to do something. But, yeah, we we uh, certainly I thought about it. Now, what's interesting is I told you my last three years were at First Air Force. So that was that First Air Force is the Air Force's aviation arm, if you will, of NORAD. So my job down there was uh, we call it a combined force air component commander. So I was a general officer on duty who if an airplane would ever try to breach some uh, temporary flight restriction or or do something, we would make a recommendation as a unit. It would go through me as the uh, CFAC, if you will, that, and I would make a recommendation to Secretary of Defense whether to shoot down that airplane or not. So I got to see the operator end, and then at the end of my career, I got yeah. to kind of be involved with it in the decision process. Now, out here in Colorado, we don't get scrambled on airplanes very often that, that aren't doing what they should do. But uh, there's a lot of flight restrictions on the East Coast. And wherever the president is, there's a flight restriction over him, Super Bowls, that kind of stuff. And you have some general aviation airplanes that, quite frankly, wander into airspace they shouldn't. And we have to launch airplanes against them to escort them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was that took a majority of our uh, of the, what I was doing down there. But uh, in the end, you you were prepared if you had to to make that decision to shoot something down. And, uh, God forbid it, it, and thank goodness it never happened. It hasn't happened, um, and there's a reason it hasn't happened. It's because because there's a lot of stuff that goes on 
that the American public has no idea about. And that means overseas, off our shores, there's a reason we haven't been attacked since 9-11. And that's because of the men and women that are over there doing the job and keeping it out of our country. Amen. Retired Major General Trulanire, United States Air Force, uh, just within the last 30 days, had his final flight as a Delta Airlines captain, and he's kind enough to be with us. Give a real shout-out uh, again to... Um, to Deb and, and your family. Uh, Debbie, the kids, uh, m- my life would be incomplete without you, and, and everything I've done has been made possible because of your support. Thank you. Love I, you. I am, and here, here, I am uh, a better person because I know you. <laughs> Thank you. I love I, you, friend. I'm better because I've got to spend time <laughs> with you, my friend. Once again, thanks to Major General Trulin Iyer, Colorado Air National Guard, United States Air Force, retired a couple of years ago from the National Guard and just within the last month or so, said goodnight, goodbye, thank you, and farewell to Delta Airlines, a true, true American hero. That wraps up this best of edition on this New Year's Day 2023. Hope your resolutions that you've made, if you have made them, all come true for you. And as we go out, does anybody really know what this song means? I'm kidding. For our incredible producer, Michael Arpaio, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Thank you for all the time you give us, not only on this radio station, but for the American Veteran Show as well. We will be back with the first brand new edition of the year 2023 next week. Have a great one. Again, Happy New Year. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP.